This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, through chapter 4, verse 5. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, New City. It's great to be with you today and uh, to have a part in teaching and preaching God's word. I uh, hope you keep your Bibles open. I want to speak with you this morning about the word. And we're right between series, so this is an appropriate time to, to pause and reflect about what we do every Sunday when we hear the word of God read and proclaimed. What are we doing? Why do we do that? And uh, we, we do it, but we don't often think about the why. So how do we make the most of that time? You may know, because you have so many RTS connections with New City, that Reformed Seminary not only believes the Bible to be God's truthful word, but we're committed to helping students learn to teach and proclaim God's word faithfully. And we've had lots of connections. In fact, I've worshiped with you numerous times uh, when we're not at our home church or somebody's out of town and I sit in the back and, and uh, I so appreciate what's been happening here, but I'm also very grateful for the current connections, uh, uh, connections between us and your uh, Pastor Ted and uh, Ben Kant uh, has been an intern of mine for the last year. Uh, the Allens are here. The Reds, Scott and Jen Red were here. Uh, Eric uh, Stites was a graduate of RTS, so lots of connections, and we hope there will be many more in the days ahead. But RTS, its passion is to help people know and love and teach the word. CCU, where I'm going, actually is a it's an undergrad and a graduate school, but uh, one of its values is that we want students to know, to love, and to trust the word of God. So uh, it's just a part of my life. That's a passion of mine, and I want us to, to do a little thinking about that this morning. Oh, and by the way, I brought with me 
Um, well, it's something that uh, you would call an hourglass, only this isn't exactly an hourglass. This is a half-hour glass. I got mine from Barnes & Noble. Uh, it was a Puritan tradition, actually, to take an hourglass and to put it by the pulpit uh, and to turn it so that the preacher would, would not cheat and cut things short, but would give the congregation a full hour and a half, hour, hour and a half sermon. And if they saw that the sand, you know, was still in the top, they, they thought, you know, something was wrong. So this will have to turn two times, but uh, it's a 30-minute one. Uh, but I, I just want you to know, and of course, uh, the Puritans had also other interesting uh, things going on in New England, actually. They would have some of the ushers coming down the aisles, some with a pole and a brass ball on the end of it. And if you were a guy and you fell asleep during a sermon, they would kind of bop you on the head to make sure you were attentive to the preaching. And if you were uh, a woman, they would have a pole and sometimes with a feather at the end to tickle your chin to make sure that you'd be attentive as well. So no poles, no balls, no, no, uh, no feathers, but we do have the hourglass. A number of years ago, I, I heard a, a 19th century English poem that went something like this. Uh, it went, I, I never see my preacher's eyes, though they with light may shine. For when he prays, he closes his. And when he preaches, mine. <laughs> it was a poem that seemed to underscore the old quip that a preacher is sometimes one who is invisible six days a week and inscrutable on the seventh day. But I was privileged as, a, as I was growing up to sit under preachers who were not that way at all, who, who loved the word, who taught the word, who had a passion to teach it. And when I heard it, I felt my soul being fed, my mind being challenged as they unfolded uh, what God had said. And I think one of the most misunderstood aspects of a worship these days is the business of, of preaching. And we spend so much time doing it, but we, we do so in an age that's not that friendly to this whole subject of, of preaching. And I felt led to, to talk to you this morning about, um, from 2 Timothy, about why we proclaim the word, what's the point, what's going on, why is it so significant. And I'd like us to consider two basic reasons from God's word why we preach, and then to consider a warning that God gives us in 2 Timothy, and then make some applications. Now, the context, you might recall, is this is a letter from Paul, an aging Christian leader who's about ready to pass from the scene and meet the executioner. And it's to his young protege, apprentice, Timothy, who is a young pastor, most likely over the church of Ephesus. And Paul's call to Timothy in this last communication to him, it wasn't an email, but it was a letter that's the best they could do. And the, the, the communication was, Timothy, now that I'm passing from the scene, you be faithful. Do not be ashamed of Christ. Um, continue to endure. Endure hardship for the gospel. Uh, grow in the scriptures. Uh, preach his word. And so Paul was giving him his last final charge with great urgency. So why is it that we, we spend so much time proclaiming the word. Reason number one. Now open your Bibles, please. Second Timothy, uh, we'll be looking at the end of chapter three. The very first important reason why we proclaim God's word is because God has spoken. Verse 14 through 16, we have some key facts about scripture. God has spoken. All right, so you come to verse 14 and Paul says, I want you 
to continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which, here we go, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. God has spoken. Scripture originates in the mind of God. All scripture. What's he referring to? Certainly the Old Testament, but most likely also to the New Testament writings. Earlier in this letter, he talks about what you've received from me. And when you read the New Testament epistles, it's very interesting that Paul wanted his letters to be read publicly in the assembly along with the Old Testament. He claims to be speaking with the authority of Jesus Christ. He calls his message the word of God. He says that he's speaking not in words taught by human wisdom, but by the Holy Spirit. And Peter is even regarding Paul at this point and his letters as scripture. So all scripture, Old Testament, primary reference, but also his writings, it's inspired by God. What does that mean? That does not... You can't reduce it simply to it's inspiring when I read the Bible, even though it is. Uh, The word there is, it's a technical word for breathed out by God, better expired, exhaled, um, breathed out by God as people were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's how it's inspired by God. It is from God and it is to us. Now, uh, theologians will talk about how there's this dual authorship of scripture. So it comes from God. It's the word of God in the words of men. We recognize that it comes through human authors who are in possession of their faculties, but they are driven by the Holy Spirit. And divine inspiration doesn't rule out their personalities or the mechanics of how they wrote it. But these words were believed to be the words of God through human authors. And so Many talk about the double authorship of scripture originating in the mind of God, communicated from him to us. And you can go to other passages in scripture that help us understand this, such as uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, where Peter writes that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And hence, Christians refer to the scriptures as the word of God. We have a talking God, a God who is not just there, but he reveals himself to the world. He doesn't play charades with the universe. You know the game charades where you can't speak, but you act it out and you have to guess what the person is talking about, what book they're referring to or what movie they're referring to. Well, God God puts his glory on display, but he speaks not just through creation, but even more clearly through his word in the scriptures so that we can know his mind. And that's why we rightly call it the word of God. So scripture, all scripture is expired of God, breathed out by God. Um, And what's its purpose? Verse 15, uh, these scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I think if there's one line in the Bible that tells the purpose of the Bible, there it is. The Bible is there so that we will be wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Its overriding concern is to testify to Jesus Christ. These things bear witness to me, Jesus said. So 
That's why when you preach here, you often find your pastor, whether he's preaching from the Old Testament or the Decalogue or parts of the New Testament or the Psalms, they're driving to Christ because scripture testifies to Christ. One early Latin father in the church, Jerome, said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And we can also say knowledge of scripture will lead you to a knowledge of Christ. And then he adds too, by the way, scripture is profitable. How? Well, in many ways, it equips us for our good works. It's profitable for teaching, for correcting us from errors, because all of us drift into error, so that the man of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, no wonder we love the Bible. It comes from God, it points to Christ, and it's profitable. And that's why evangelical churches and Protestant evangelical churches make a big deal. That's one reason why they make a big deal of preaching the scriptures expository preaching, letting the text talk, reading it, proclaiming it. And at the end of our reading, you did it today. What did you say? Do you remember what you said after the scripture was read? Yeah, someone will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll respond, thanks be to God. Now, that's very interesting. Um, It's very right, but it's not what all churches say. I've been reading recently, um, and I had a, actually had a conversation with a person from another church, and they say, oh, in our church, we say, listen for the word of God. In other words, this is not necessarily the, the word of God. You listen for it somewhere in the midst of it. I was reading another theologian on the left of the perspective, uh, theological perspective, uh, and he was saying, this is not the word of God. So some say it's not, and some say you listen for, but In our churches, we say this is, and that's an affirmation that this really does come from God. God has spoken, and we need to be attentive. So do you believe that? I hope you do. That's why we call it the Holy Bible and the Holy Scriptures. Uh, That's why we, uh, we spend the time unfolding what he said. That's one great reason, don't you think? Well, let me give you a second reason why We proclaim the scriptures, not just because God has spoken, but also because he commands us to. He commands us to preach his word. And as you go a little further into the passage, you can see Paul's charge to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 2. I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Preach the word. Be prepared. Uh, Rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Timothy, don't shrink from this. You'll be tempted to. The pressure of society around you will sometimes shape you and push you to be ashamed of it. But I'm charging you to not be ashamed of it, to fulfill the duties of your ministry. Now, Paul understood what Presbyterians describe as that scripture is a means of grace. It's a principal tool that God has given to us to grow in godliness. We need the word. It's a God-ordained means uh, for us to grow and to be shaped by by the Holy Spirit and by truth. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word that is preached. So this is a God-ordained means for us to, to grow up in Christ and to grow up in truth. But I think that we often don't fully grasp this. Uh, What helped me understand why it's so important that we have people who preach the word came while I was reading uh, parts of Deuteronomy 
and Exodus in Deuteronomy 18. And I'd like you to turn to that passage if you have a Bible with you. I hope you do. Um, Deuteronomy 18, uh, we have a passage about the role of the prophet. The role of the prophet. Um, what was the role of the prophet? The prophet's role in Scripture in, in the Old Testament, as he's introduced, is to, to speak a word from God. What does the prophet say? He says, thus saith the word, thus, thus saith the Lord, or here is the word of the Lord. That's what prophets do. But I think we, we sometimes don't understand. So preachers are prophets who speak the word of the Lord. But um, sometimes we, we get a little bit misguided and we say to ourselves, and you hear this in some contemporary Christian music too, if only I could, if I could see you, if I could hear your voice and touch your whatever, you know. And I know it's well-meaning when they write things like that, but the truth of the matter is, if we were to see God have a naked confrontation apart from Christ, uh, if we were to hear his voice, you and I would fall apart. We would be devastated. We could not, we could not stand. We would be overwhelmed by the, by the, the awesome heaviness, the glory and holiness of his presence. We would not be able to handle it. And as you read in the Old Testament, that's exactly what happened to Israel. And so Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 16, we have the recollection uh, where at Horeb, Israel said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord, my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. That's what happens if you were to just hear without a mediator, without a prophet, to hear the voice of God. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they've spoken. So, verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in my mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I have commanded. And here's the point. The preacher, the prophet, is a grace gift to humanity so that we can actually hear the word of God and not die, not be undone, that we can handle it. So God raises up his servants to speak accurately what he said in a way that gets through to us. The preacher and the proclamation of the word is a grace gift to us. And is it Surprising then that all through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, we find the prominent role of the prophet and the preacher. Of course, you come to uh, the New Testament and preaching is everywhere. Jesus began his ministry, Matthew 4 tells us, and he began to preach. Uh, Matthew 10, Jesus rose, uh, chose his disciples and he said, as you go, preach this message. He appointed 12, Mark 3 tells us, designating them apostles that they might be with him, and he sent them out to preach. They were to preach the gospel, Mark chapter 13 says, to all nations. Uh, Mark, Acts chapter 5 tells us they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good, the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Acts chapter 6 tells us that the leaders of the church, that it wouldn't be right for them to neglect the ministry of the word and prayer. Acts chapter 10 tells us that he commanded us to preach to people and testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge. Romans 10, he, how then can they call on one they've not believed in? How can they believe in one they've not heard? How can they hear unless someone is preaching to them? 
1 Corinthians 1, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach his gospel. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 1 Corinthians 9, yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. I am compelled to preach woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Philippians 1, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. And on and on you go until 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Now, what is preaching? Uh, you you um, study at seminary how to preach, and you'll read definitions by great uh, preachers. Uh, one of the first I read was by Philip Brooks, a Boston pastor, and he said, preaching is God's truth mediated through human personality. I like that definition because it seems to capture the spirit of Deuteronomy 18. John Stott said, to preach is to open up the inspired text with such faithfulness and sensitivity that God's voice is heard and his people obey him. J.I. Packer said, Christian preaching is the event of God bringing to an audience a Bible-based, Christ-related, life-impacted message of instruction and direction from himself through the words of a spokesman. Preaching, Packer said, is the activity of letting texts talk. I love that. In preaching, the goal is to hear God's voice, to meet him in his word. To the extent preaching proclaims God's word, Packer says, it is God preaching to you. That's why we give the Bible in our preaching. So that's why preaching is so important. And pastors have this really weighty responsibility to faithfully do this. And it's a challenge every week. Every week to be ready, to have done your due diligence, to be open to the Lord, to be clean, to be ready. How is the word to be preached? The larger catechism of the Westminster Confession has a wonderful section on this. And it says, they that are called to labor in the ministry of the word are to preach sound doctrine diligently in season and out of season, plainly, not in enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, faithfully making known the whole counsel of God, wisely applying themselves to the necessities and capacities of their hearers, zealously with fervent love to God and the souls of his people, sincerely aiming at his glory and their conversion, edification, and salvation. Wow, what a weighty responsibility. That's why I hope you pray for your pastors and for those who preach. It's a great, wonderful privilege, but it's a great responsibility at the same time. Uh, That's why pastors, they need to be faithful in their preaching and not just jump off from a passage and say what they want to say, but they need to stay in the word. They have this great responsibility and they need to make sure that a church gives a steady diet of God's word week after week, which is what you do. Uh, Sometimes that will come in different ways. Sometimes it'll be a series on a book. You went through 1 Peter earlier this year. Sometimes it'll be a series on a topic like you went through in the last four weeks on the story, the wonderful story. Sometimes that delivery will come through focusing on a condensed text like the Ten Commandments, which you're going to do starting next week. Sometimes it may just be a verse. Uh, Sometimes it could be a whole book in one sermon, just a just an overview of it. There there are many ways that it's going to come to you, but the big important thing is that the word is delivered and it's delivered 
faithfully and you hear it and you can respond. So we have a talking God. We have a commandment to proclaim the word of God. Now, what comes next in uh, 2 Timothy briefly is this warning. And the warning is that there is a contrary pressure that we all feel to not do this. You see it in verses three to five. Uh, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, Timothy, don't buckle. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The time is coming when people are going to crave novelty. They um, will evaluate their preachers and teachers by how new or how entertaining it is. Um, They'll have an endless fascination with everything but with the truth of the word of God. And this was a temptation in Timothy's day as well, but also in ours. Every preacher feels it. Every church you go to, you sense that challenge going on. We're shaped by our culture. We're shaped to love entertainment. We're shaped to have shorter attention spans. We're shaped to not care for books. We're shaped to not believe that the delivery of a message one way has any place in our culture. All these things are at work. They're the atmosphere that we breathe. And so just like Timothy, sometimes you feel the pressure to just shut up and give up and go home. And Paul's charge to Timothy and pastors is, but you keep your head. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Be determined to keep going on. Now, you ask, why do we feel this pressure? Well, think about the objections the world has to preaching. They'll say, well, there is no truth. How can you preach if there's no truth? No objective truth. Who are you to proclaim that there is objective truth? You know, we live in an age of relativism. Or how about the objection that we don't want anyone telling us what to do? Autonomy is the word of the day in our culture. Papa, don't preach. Don't interfere with the way I'm living. Don't tell me how to live. Or how about this one? One One-way communication is out of date. Uh, It it, uh, doesn't accord with modern-day educational theory. Although I love what Don Carson said. He said, when you see what modern educational theory has done to our schools, uh, maybe we don't want to believe that line too quickly. Um, Or how about, don't preach, entertain me. Neil Postman has written that a book um, that's been out many years, Amusing Ourselves to Death and How Entertainment Shapes Everything, and it reshapes our expectations for every kind of uh, delivery we give. So uh, at school, we have edutainment, right? Education becomes entertainment. Um, We have um, the news, and the news becomes infotainment. Uh, In churches, sometimes we have, and this is my word, clergutainment, (laughs) you know? We want our clergy to entertain us. We go go down that track. It was boring. I didn't get anything out of it. And we we say things like that, and we don't realize how much we're shaped by the culture around us. Or um, sometimes people say, but we're on message overload. You know, we we don't need more, more messages. Well, we are on message overload, but the truth of the matter is a lot of those messages aren't worth our time, and we need God's text message more than any other in the world 
So the church feels that pressure. Every pastor feels that pressure. And every preacher has this responsibility to come back and say, but I must be faithful. And every church must encourage their pastors to be faithful and to fulfill their ministry uh, because we have a God who has spoken and he's commanded us to, to preach. Now, let me take you finally. So we've looked at two reasons for preaching. What's the first one? God has, he's a talking God. What's the second reason why we proclaim the word of God? He commands us to. Very clear here. And the contrary pressure, the times will come, right? It's all right here. But how do we bring this down to us, uh, the application? And I want to close with a little bit of uh, personal application, what we do with this, how we, how we grow with this. What do you do during a sermon? One of the privileges of not being a pastor that's preaching week after week is I get to visit a lot of churches and sometimes I'm sitting around and I'm always curious what people do during their sermons having been a pastor so many years and I'm always kind of shocked by how I you know look over people's shoulders and see what they're doing during the sermon time it's uh, scary actually um you know uh sometimes you see heads bobbing and sometimes you see people looking at their phones and uh, yeah, I mean, even in classes, you get this. Even at RTS, sometimes there, there are students who the, 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 the prof is lecturing and they're, they're um, you know, multitasking on their computers into all kinds of things. They're just not there. And that happens in churches. We know that happens in churches. Um, the worst thing somebody ever said to me after a sermon, by the way, was not terrible sermon, Pastor. That really stunk today. The worst thing that somebody ever said to me after a sermon, I was at the door and I didn't preach that Sunday, but uh, an associate did. And somebody came up to me and they said, oh, that was a great pastor. Yeah, that was a great sermon, pastor. We really love, love what you said. And I just, I wanted to go home and cry. I, I, I didn't know what to do with that. But uh, so, so practical suggestions, what do we do? Now, there are some wonderful suggestions, by the way, in the Westminster Larger Catechism. Again, brilliant section, which says, what is required of those that hear the word preached and the answer is sound preaching um, needs conscientious hearing of the word in obedience to God. And it says it's required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, with preparation and prayer. They examine what they hear by the scriptures. They receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. They meditate and confer of it. They hide it in their hearts and they bring forth the fruit of it in their lives and attend upon it with diligence. I mean, that's a, that's a one-packed paragraph that's extremely helpful. I encourage you to go back to the larger catechism and look at what it says about preaching, and, and it'll reinforce this. But specifically, you know, how do we listen? So let me just recommend three things. First of all, when you come, come with an alert mind, which means the night before is when your preparation begins. Um, so that you are awake and you get a good night's sleep. Come and uh, put your phone away. I mean, I generally encourage, I'm old-fashioned, I'm old school, and I may be wrong in this, all right, but I encourage people to bring a real Bible to church because uh, it keeps you from being distracted. If I take my phone out, and I sometimes, I know, I, I, I'll just, you know, take out my ESV app and I'll be looking at it, but I, I can't mark it. I can easily drift to other things, 
And when I have my Bible, I've got to look at it. I can mark it. I can put my finger in it. I can smell it. I can touch it. I can come back to it very quickly. And there's something that stays with you. It helps me stay alert. So I encourage you, bring your own Bible. Have a notebook. I brought my this year's sermon notebook. I, so um, I have one of these a year. And I, I take notes because I forget. And, uh, and then at the end of the year, I go back and I, on a Sunday afternoon, I'll go through. I said, what did, what did I hear this past year? What does the Lord want me to remember? And so this becomes part of the preaching, the listening, the writing it down becomes part of my spiritual formation. And it's so helpful to me. Um, so um, come with an alert mind. Explore the sermon afterwards. That's a Puritan phrase where they would go home and they would say, so what was, what was the sermon about? Not to to skewer the pastor, but to say, what did we hear and what does it have to do with, with us? And by the way, if you ever come to a church and the pastor's just off and there are Sundays like that, we just have a you know, bad week or bad weekend or who knows what. And, and if it just, the pastor's not doing a good job, then just read the text and memorize it or pray it. You didn't make good of that time. We all have our days. So, First of all, you come with an alert mind. Secondly, you come with an open, ready heart. That is, you are prayed up and ready to hear. Sometimes, I, I know my congregation has left the church and they go, oh man, that was, I didn't get anything out of that. And the problem may have been me. Some weeks, I know it was me, but there were many times where I don't believe the problem was me. I believe that people come and they're not ready to hear. We're so caught up with other things or we have unconfessed sin in our life and that blocks up our heart. It gums it up so we can't hear what God has to say to us. And so remember that in preaching, there are three personalities involved. There's the preacher, um, there's the Holy Spirit, but there's you. And if you're not ready, you will not hear much at all and you'll not benefit from what uh, is being said, and you'll not hear what Christ is saying to you, what he wants you to know, the attitudes he wants you to change, the things he wants you to believe or stop believing. You know, come with an open, ready heart. And then finally, the third way to be ready to listen is have a, a ready will, to be ready to obey. I mean, we're to be doers of the word, right? The goal of preaching is ultimately glorifying God and seeing his people transformed, becoming what we should become, doing what he wants us to do. Sometimes when I'm listening, I'll say, so what's one thing I need to take away from this and carry with me into the week? And that helps me listen. What's one thing that will help me fulfill the mission that God has given to me and to the church? And that will, will help me. So friends, my... My word to you is take seriously the discipline of hearing the word of God. Uh, come regularly to church. The pastors, they're, they're going to preach the whole Decalogue. And, and if we just come to bits and pieces of it, we miss out on key things that God is trying to teach us. And I know, of course, uh, I've pastored for many years that uh, I've heard people say, I've probably even said it myself, oh, I, I'll worship God in the mountains this weekend. In Colorado, that's their phrase. Here, what is it? What's the phrase? I'll worship God at the beach, right? Or in both places, I'll worship God at the golf course. 
and pick your variation. There are lots of them. Truth of the matter is, you can worship God anywhere. We all know that. But the ongoing worship of God can't be separated from his word. And for most people, when they're in the mountains or they're at the beach, I tell you what, they are not worshiping God. Right? Let's be honest. And that's why the discipline of coming and taking the Lord's Day seriously is so, so important. So I hope this helps you begin to see why we do this. What's the point? What we should be and how we should be ready to receive what happens here each week uh, as God brings servants to his church. And by the way, my hourglass, I think it's stuck. So don't buy these from Barnes and Nobles because... (laughs) The humid, it's the Florida humidity that kind of messed these up. But see, either it's stuck or I haven't even hit 30 minutes and I've cheated you out. I need to turn it once, twice so you get your money's worth and you don't feel like you've been shortchanged at New City. But realize I'm a failure. The person here next week will be far better. Be ready. Listen to him because... As Jesus said, man does not live by word, by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And we could add that churches do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And Christian men and women do not live by bread alone, but by, help me out, every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Join, me, join with me as we pray. Father, first of all, we come to you and we thank you that you are a God who has revealed yourself in creation, through the stars, through the macro and micro details of this majestic world that you've made. But thank you that you have revealed yourself clearly and specifically in your word, the scriptures, and through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we confess that so often we drift. We are prone to wonder. We, we get sloppy. We buy the lies of our culture. Um, we drift. Our hearts grow cold. Thank you, Lord, that you have abundant grace for people who drift and fail, for preachers and for listeners. And thank you that you forgive those who truly repent Thank you that in listening to your word and worshiping each Sunday, we can come back and we get our sanity, our spiritual sanity restored. And thank you that you take care of your people. You call them to serve you, but then you, by many means of grace, especially the preaching and teaching of the word, you build us up so that we can stay on track. We thank you and praise you. Word of God, living word, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.